Our fourth speaker this weekend, I think, requires no uh, introduction. He is much more well-known in these four walls than even myself. Um, Dr. Marty Jackman is a native of Eichard. He grew up in this church. He was licensed to the gospel ministry in this church. He was baptized in this church and I believe is uh, a great extension of the ministry here. Uh, what an impact uh, he is having uh, where he serves at the Bayleaf Baptist Church in Raleigh. Um, Dr. Jackman has a master's and a doctorate from Southeastern. Uh, again, that comes up and is a bold proclaimer uh, of the gospel. I've got to see him at work uh, with our state convention and serving as president of the pastor's conference a couple of years ago uh, and serving as our board of directors. And um, it's just amazing to see what God is doing. It shows uh, that something good can come from Burke County. <laughs> I'm not saying that I've never seen anything. I'm just saying this is a really good example. And uh, did you go to East Burke? Class of 85. Well, when I was one and a half years old, Marty graduated from East Burke High School. So Marty's going to come tonight. He's going to preach God's word for us. And my prayer is, and I know he would echo this, uh, that you're not listening to a man tonight, but you're listening to God's word. And it's being preached through a great messenger. So Marty, come and preach for us. Uh, Michael, thank you uh, so much. Well, Keith, let me, let me begin by saying thank you for your message. Uh, ties hand in hand with, with what I wanted to, to bring and say tonight. So uh, thank you for your challenge uh, to each of us. Uh, I appreciate you. Love serving with you at Southeastern Seminary. I knew when you came, and there was just such an excitement about how God had led you there. And glad to be able to, to speak with you tonight. Brother Michael, thank you. Uh, and First Baptist Iger, thank you for letting me come back home uh, to this place. I love this. This is, uh, I still say, coming back home. Uh, you were one and a half when I graduated from high school. I, I asked, I didn't know how old Michael was. I actually asked him uh, when I got here because, and the reason I was wondering, is in our state, uh, Michael has just such a reputation of a man of integrity and a man of courage who will stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ in our community. And so I was surprised to find out he's only 29. I thought, Johnny Iker's got overalls older than you. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating. Now, I, that's a, a, a true statement, but it, it's good to be home. Great to have uh, my daughter uh, with me tonight, my mom and dad, and just so many friends that have seen me. Uh, I was uh, uh, out of this church uh, called and uh, uh, was baptized, baptized for it before I was called, but uh, uh, get the order right there. Um, but it's a great uh, time uh, to be here as you have begun this Awaken Conference. 
And I want you to turn your Bibles to the, uh, to the book of Revelation. Uh, sometimes it's called John's Revelation. No, it's the Lord's Revelation uh, that God gave to uh, the, uh, the Apostle John. And, and I want to speak tonight about our first love. Because I will say this, I think what hinders revival in America, what hinders revival within our churches, what hinders revival in the world, what could very well at the end of this conference determine whether or not there was an awakening that took place. It may not be some gross sin. It, it may not be that there is a, a, a horrible, hideous sin, although, let's be honest, all sin is horrible and hideous. But you leave this, this place, and, and I mean even in, in our day, we call the big sins. You say there's, there's nothing there, I, I don't hinder that. Well, so often it, it's, it's not... Some deep sin, an unconfessed sin that hinders an awakening in ourselves and an awakening within the body of Christ. So often it can be that we've left our first love. We've lost our first love. We've lost the understanding of the power of the resurrection, as Brother Keith spoke about. One of the things I love now, having been in, in, in ministry for a number of years, uh, our son Jarrett's graduating at the end of the month. He was two when we left here to go to seminary. It seems like it was yesterday, but it's really been a long time. One of the things I love about pastoring is doing marriages. You may find that odd. Some pastors hate doing marriages. I love doing marriages. I love doing premarital counseling. It's a requirement in our, our, our church, in my ministry. If you're going to be married there, if I'm going to marry you, we're going to go through a time of premarital counseling. I love to get a young couple in front of me. Why are y'all getting married? Because we're in love. We're in love. Well, where are you going to live? We don't know yet. We're in love. How are you going to make it? How are you going to survive? How are you going to pay the bills? We're working that out, but we're in love. And we, we can sometimes belittle that and make fun of that. But I think it's a beautiful thing. Every day springtime. There's flowers and candy. Lori and I, Friday night, I think two weeks ago, it was date night. And we were at the Wake Forest Lowe's. Lowe's Hardware. Brother Keith, some of, some of my students, I, I teach preaching at the seminary. A couple of my students were there. And they said, Dr. Jackman, what are you doing? I said, oh, it's date night. And they said, well, where are you taking your wife? Brother, this is the date. 
I felt guilty. I felt bad. But you know, if we're not careful in our lives, in our marriages, in our walks with Christ, the things that we were such passionate for can become cold. We can lose our first love. At one time, we couldn't wait to be in the Word of God. There's nothing that would have kept us away from an awakened conference. There was nothing that would keep us out of the body of Christ. There was nothing that would keep us from earnest times of prayer. But something's happened. Something's happened in your life. You've left. You've lost your first love. We're going to look at the Lord's words to the church at Ephesus. And he's going to give them a good word, but then he's going to say there's a problem. Now, I love what Brother Keith said about the right pastor will not ensure that an awakening takes place. Let's talk about the church at Ephesus. They had had Paul. He was probably pretty good. I mean, he wrote a lot of the, you know, wrote a lot of the New Testament. I'd say he was qualified. Timothy. John. I'd say they had a pretty good little thing going on there. But what happened that would bring an accusation from the Lord like he brings in this text? Follow along with me. Chapter uh, 2, verse 1 of Revelation. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent but this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans which I also hate he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to him who overcomes I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God I want us to look at, at three aspects of this letter this accusation that he gives this approval that he begins with but then a plan of action that he wants them to carry out to do what to remember their first love and to come back into that fellowship to truly have a spiritual awakening within their cells and within their body. Notice, first of all, the approval of Jesus. 
He says, I know, verse 2, your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. What was it about this church? He says, man, you're dedicated. I, I, I'm going to give you a word of approval because you are a dedicated church. You are a determined church. Well, you've persevered in times of great persecution that they could have endured. You've been determined. You're doctrinally sound. It says they hated evil. They, 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 in the end, it says they had dealt with the Nicolaitans. The church fathers wrote this was an early Gnostic set. That it, perhaps it was an early deacon within the body. That I love my deacons at Bayleaf. I give them a hard time. I tell them Jesus went around healing the sick and casting out deacons all over the land. But it could have been an early deacon there in the body that rose up. But there was dissent, there was evil, there was false doctrine coming in, and this church dealt with it and put it away. They were discerning in the message, in the gospel. They looked great. They looked impressive. This would be the church that wouldn't have any problem getting a pastor. It would be the church that people would have lined up for. The moment John would have stepped away, there would have been a hundred resumes there. It was the it church, the one that people wanted to be at. Oh, it looked so good, but there was a problem. The problem was on the inside. The problem was with the heart. I remember 1990. Yeah, probably before you were born, Michael, but that's okay. Now, 1990, remember I was finishing college, and it was the guy that played basketball. I loved basketball. Played in this gym many times. And there was a basketball player by the name of Hank Gathers. Hank Gathers was a chiseled individual. He, he, he was impressive. You would look at him and another guy named Bo Kimball, if you remember this team, in a, in a day in, in, in before the, I guess the Shotlock Clark era was just coming on, they were scoring like 120 points a game. They were jacking up threes. They were, they were playing. It was fun to watch. Hank Gathers looked impressive, but here's what happened. In a game, he was running down the court, and he collapsed. We found out later that he had died. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. This guy was impressive. He had abs. He had muscles. He had played an entire season of basketball. But when they determined the cause of death, they said it was something they had never picked up on, and it was a problem with the heart. 
It was on the inside. That's exactly what Jesus says here is, I've got this against you. I, I approve of what you've done. You're discerning. You're dedicated. You're determined. You're doctrinally sound. You look great. But there is a problem. There's a problem on the inside. It's not all bad. There's much good. But here's something you lack. Verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you. When I read that, I'm reminded of in sports. We play foot, you know, I played football. I always joke about film. When you watch film of yourself, I tell my guys preaching in class, watch film of yourself. Let me tell you something. You watch film. You probably never did as bad as you thought you did, but you probably never did as good as you thought you did either. I don't care if it's preaching or in sports. You watch the film, and he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. This busy, sacrificing church had a problem. And it was their first love. Now, now how does that play out? How, how does that play out in a church? Well, in a church, it can play out this way. Programs become more important than people. All of a sudden, you're, you're more interested in the right program. And making sure that program is done perfectly. And you're willing to sacrifice people and leave bodies strewn everywhere. But the program was good. The program was, was perfect. And we love programs more than we love people. We can love religion more than we can relationships. We can get to a point where, where we, we love the fact that we are religious and we're more religious than the next person. And what we ought to be thinking about is how can I invest in their life to make their relationship stronger? How can I pour out? How can I serve God, how can you use me in this person's life? It's when a church begins to love the local church more than it loves the king of that church. You can begin to love a class more than you love the Lord. It happens. We can lose our first love. It can happen in our daily walks. You remember what it was like. You remember the power of the resurrection. You remember how you couldn't wait to get up in the morning and open up God's Word. You just wake up and 
you'd immediately start praying. But something happened. Something happened. Maybe something offended you. I met a lady in Raleigh. Invited her to church. She was actually working at the, at the dump. I was at the dump one day. I'm too much like my dad. I'm not going to pay somebody to come haul my trash off when I've got a truck, you know. I'll let it build up for six months, then put it in the truck, and no, it's not quite that bad. <laughs> but I was at the dump, and I just happened to ask, there was a lady there. And, and I asked her, I said, well, do, you know, we were talking just a minute. I told her what I did, and I said, do you attend church somewhere? And she said, this, this lady was probably in her, in her 50s. And she said, no, I don't. I said, well, why don't you come to our church? We'd love to have you. I'll meet you. Or I'll have someone meet you depending on when you come. I'd love to have you. She said, I'm not going to church. Why? Well, I, I went to church. I grew up in church. But about 30 years ago, our pastor made me so angry, I swore I'd never go back. Here was what was the amazing thing. I then asked her, what happened? What happened? You know, I really don't even remember. I, I really don't even remember. I just remember it was a really tough time in our church. Wait a minute, something has kept you out of the body of Christ? You say you're a believer? You say you love the Lord? Something has kept you out of the body of Christ for 30 years and you don't remember what it was. We can lose our first love. It's happened in my life. Well, I have to constantly be reminded that there are so many all around us every day who need to know that Jesus Christ loves them. That Jesus Christ gave his life for them. Brother Terry was reminding me when we were deacons here together, we'd go to, the, to do door-to-door -door visitation. We'd knock it, he said, I don't know why anybody opened the doors for us. But I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to, to get off work, to go out and share with people. But something can happen. It can happen in my life. It does happen in my life, and it can happen in your life. We can lose our first love. I often wondered if the Lord kind of felt like the little girl who told her mom, Mom, I love my dolly, and love my dolly, and love my dolly, but she never loves me back. I wonder if the Lord just says, I, I pour out my love, I pour out my love, I pour out my love, and I'm talking about upon me. And he thinks, but Marty, have you lost and left your first love?
See, that can hinder an awakening. That can hinder Christ moving in our lives. That can hinder a depth of a fellowship. That can paralyze us with bitterness and fear and anger. And it's exactly what Satan loves to do. Because here's the thing. Satan, I believe with all my heart, is smart enough to know for a child of God, he cannot take away their salvation. I don't believe Satan is omnipotent, omnipresent. As a matter of fact, I, I know that he's not. But I believe he does know he cannot take away your salvation. So he would rather, instead of just leaving you alone, make you totally ineffective for the gospel. He, he would rather, if he can't take away your salvation, what he would want to do is keep you from sharing it with anybody else. You're a lost cause. But if he can manipulate you and hinder you and keep you from sharing with anybody else, that's what he would love to do. And that's what he can do. When we lose that first love. So what did the, the Lord say? I love how he, he just doesn't leave it here. Oh my goodness. If this chapter ended after verse 4, oh, it would just drive us crazy. It, it, it would be... Like the person who's always there to tell you, here's what's wrong. But they never tell you how to fix it. They never have a word. They never have an encouragement. But look what he says, very simple. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else, or else, this is serious. I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. There are times churches fold. When you say, what happened? I said, I think it was God. I think it was God. I don't think it breaks God's heart that every church folds. I believe he says to some of them, no, I had my hand in that. But he says, here's what you've got to do. This church that was doing so much right. These individuals who had so much going for them, but there was one thing with their heart. He says, first of all, remember. Remember. Think back. Think back. I want to ask you right now to think back when you gave your life to Christ. Now, if you can't remember that, then we, we've, we've got something else to talk about. But you remember when you gave your life to Christ. I remember August 1977, Camp Caraway, Thursday night, by a bonfire. I remember the first time hearing the gospel. Hearing the gospel. I had 
heard a message a lot of times. I was here, just like Brother Keith said, every time the doors were open. But I remember that time, hearing it and understanding it applied to me. And that I needed to, I needed to give my life to Christ. I needed to repent, and I needed to give my life to Christ. I remember coming back and going down to Pastor Harvey Lauder and telling him I had given my life to Christ and I wanted to be baptized. I remember the sweetness of that. I remember the sweetness of a Lynn Dawson crusade here and just being on fire because, man, he was a pro football player that was unashamedly uh, in love with Jesus. I just remember the sweetness of that. He says, you think back. You remember what I've done. You think back and remember the power that brought you to salvation. You remember the power of the cross. You remember. Then he says to repent. To repent was the message of Jesus I'm preaching through. I'm almost through the Gospel of Mark with our church. Over and over again, what was the message of John? What was the message of Jesus? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does repent mean? For many years, I thought repent simply meant it was ask that I was, you know, say I was sorry. I would sin. I would say that night to the Lord as I had my prayers, Lord, I'm sorry for that sin. And if you would have asked me the next day, here's what I would have said. Last night I repented. But the next day I was doing the same thing. And I was coming back that night saying, I'm sorry. Here's the thing. I was asking for forgiveness, but I was not repenting. Repenting means to turn away. It means to turn away. So what is Jesus saying? You remember the sweetness of the fellowship. You remember when I came into your life. You remember when you were baptized. You remember the promise you made to me. You remember the sweetness of the fellowship and the things that are hindering you. The things you've allowed to come into your life. The idols that you have built up. And folks, we can all have idols. Our idols can be the things we play with, the things that we do, the things that we read, anything that hinders us. Our work can be an idol. Our families can be an idol. Our, children's can, our children can be idols. The things that hinder us from a passionate fellowship of worshiping Jesus Christ. He says those things repent, turn away. And then he says repeat, not repeat the sin. But he says, repent and do the first works. Rekindle the passion that was there. Figure out what's different. What's different in my life now than when I first came to faith in Christ? What's different in my life than five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Ask the question, am I more passionately in love with Christ than I was then? Or when you examine your life, say, you know what? I've really kind of slid. I've just kind of stayed where I am. I've not grown. I've not changed. Can I tell you, if you're stagnant, you're dying. 
So the things, that time when you couldn't wait to be in his word and you couldn't wait to pray, redo the first things. When you couldn't help but share him, redo the first things. When you couldn't wait to lay down with your bride at night and you would hold hands and you would pray. Do the first things. What's different? Get rid of it. And do the first things. Have we lost or left that first love? You know, in our house, at our house, is a 14-year-old beagle named Toby. The dog that won't die, as my wife refers to it. We bought Toby when Jarrett was four years old. And there was an immediate connection there. I mean, Jared could walk in the room and that little dog would just, that little tail would start going. He would do that little beagle bark. He would just get so excited. As Jared's grown up, that passion was always still there. They just had a connection. He would listen to me, but he loved Jared. If you could come to our house today, you would see a 14-year-old beagle who we have to get up, I mean literally, get up in the morning, take him outside. We have to mash up his food now a little bit because he can't eat. I always joke with my wife, I'm trying to set a precedence here for when I get old, okay? <laughs> but this dog that is now gray, he's blind and he's deaf. But it's amazing, when Jarrett is in the room, the dog knows it. And this dog that's blind and deaf still will go find him, and that tail will just start wagging. He will put his face up to Jarrett, he will nuzzle him, he will lay down beside of him, and the tail just continues to wag. Now think about that because here's the thing. That dog has never left his first love. From the time when that dog was six weeks old and we went and got him and we put him in the bed one Saturday morning with Jared and let the dog wake him up and they played all day long, the dog still loves him just as much as he did that day. And I've sometimes joked when thinking of this passage, God give me the love of a deaf and blind beetle. Let me have that type of love for you. That it doesn't matter if I've been saved a day or 50 years. It doesn't matter what is going on in my life. It doesn't matter if I'm in pain. It doesn't matter if I have all the money I could spend or I don't know where my next meal's coming from. If I'm stricken with blindness or deafness, Father, let me love you as much as that dog loves my son. 
God, let me never lose the passionate first love I have for you. Let me remember it. Let me hold on to it. Let me grasp it. And then say, let me show it. Let me show it. Where a lost world knows there's something different. And it's simply the love of Christ. If we will regain and rekindle the first love, that's an awakening. And we'll never be the same. And the world won't be the same because they see it. Let's pray. Father, I pray. I pray for myself. I pray for everyone here. I pray that we would right now in these moments examine our lives, examine where we once were with you. There was a, there was a, a passion. Father, we didn't know all the answers. We didn't have all the theology that perhaps we have today. But we just knew the just shall live by faith. We knew you had saved us. We knew we were forgiven from the penalty of sin. We knew that one day you would take us away from the presence of sin. And that was enough. That was enough to make every day sweet. Father, let us examine where we are today. Are we trying to to judge your love of us by what we have? Are we bitter because we look at someone else and they seem to have it all? And we feel like you've given them more and we're bitter, we're angry. Father, we're upset because of other circumstances. And Father, we're trying to hold you responsible and hold, withhold our affection and withhold our love and our passion. Father, help us to remember, to repent, and to redo those things in our first love. Father, give us the courage tonight to hear your voice in Christ's name. As the music is playing, and as we have this opportunity, would you respond? Would you listen to God's voice? All, all we need is in Christ. We, we have need for nothing else. But we have to respond. We have to remember the first thing. Would you do that tonight as we sing? I hear the Savior say, and I hear the Savior say, Thy strength in this small child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine own Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. 
sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it bright as snow. Lord, now indeed I find. Lord, now. 